Thanks for downloading the latest episode of the C-Suite podcast to be produced in partnership with Future Brand. Uh, this one we are recording to coincide with the launch of the new Future Brand Super Sustainability Report. My name is Russell Goldsmith and joining me online to discuss some of the issues raised in the report and the potential impact super sustainability might have on the future of business. It's a welcome back to the podcast to John Tipple, Future Brand's Global Chief Strategy Officer. And also a welcome back to another previous guest, Rebecca Dibb-Simkin, a Global Director of Product and Marketing for Octopus Energy Group, and um, I, sh- I should say for obviously for those watching on the, on YouTube and not listening to the podcast, um, Rebecca has with her our youngest ever guest <laughs> of the uh, of the podcast. Uh, welcome to Xander, who is just eight weeks old. So um, thank you so much, Rebecca, for uh, for joining us at the moment. And then finally, uh, from Frankfurt in Germany, we have Axel Luber, Senior Vice President, Global Brand and Marketing at Eon. So before we hear from Axel and Rebecca and potentially from Xander as well. John, let's start with you. Uh, Do you want to just give us a quick overview of what this new report discusses and uh, what you were looking to achieve with it? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Russell. Um, I guess the concept of super sustainability is is something we invented. And we invented it as a concept because we feel that the narrative around sustainability is kind of stuck in pre-pandemic times, you know, 2019, I think Forbes released their, you know, a study or at least wrote about that 2020 was going to be the year of sustainability. And then we all know what happened in 2020. Other things happened that deprioritized that. What's happened since is that the public has moved on. The concerns of the public have moved on, driven by the pandemic. But the actual narratives and the behaviors around sustainability haven't, particularly from corporations. Gina McCarthy, who's uh, one of Joe Biden's sustainability advisors, talked about, and it's, I think it's a really lovely quote, she talked about racism and is the new climate crisis. Race, so she began to conflate racism and, and climate. And what we've noticed through the Future Brand Index and through our um, other studies is that the public has been become concerned through the pandemic, not just about climate, but things like concerns for health, personal health, public health, concerns for wealth, ability to earn money, kids not going to school, concerns for our communities have all conflated by the intense and acute nature of 2020. So that sustainability is now a multifaceted concept, but actually it's still being treated as something that's somewhat standalone. And if you look at the narratives around ESG, they're still relatively set in kind of some of the some of the concepts of people, place, profit. It's still relatively unsophisticated at a time when the public is very sophisticated. And when we look on the Future Brand Index this year, the companies that are doing the best are the companies that are able to not just deliver on sustainability concerns, but deliver on a whole wide range of concerns and preoccupations that people have. So for example, one of our big risers is Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton has grown hugely this year. It's managed to hang on to things it always always did, like pleasure and big sustainable sourcing, but it's also been able to deliver on th- you know, things like its story, its sense of mission, its sense of thought leadership. So what we're, what we're essentially saying is to succeed in the future and deliver in this new super sustainability era, we will expect things like health companies, healthcare companies, to think about how do we deliver pleasure? It's not something they typically think about. Or technology companies, how do we bring out our personality? So how do we, and how do we deliver on sustainability? And how do we deliver on all of these things in order to meet the new conflated concerns of the consumer and the public. And, and how do you exactly define super sustainability versus just simply sustainability? Yeah, it's a great question. I should have said that at the start. <laughs> it's it's being concerned for the totality of human well-being, not just our well-being within the narrow constraints of environmental concerns, which in no way am I belittling. 
or wanting to minimize, I think they're huge, but it's it's a much broader suite of concerns that are going to drive human well-being. It's no good, and we won't engage the, the public if we get to a sustainable future, but it's totally miserable getting there. And and people people just won't stick with it. So we need to, as as business leaders and as and, and as corporations and companies, think about how do we deliver on the totality of human well-being, and that's what we call super sustainability, not just the well-being in in, in the narrow confines of, of sustainability and environmental climate issues. Okay, well let's uh, let's bring Rebecca and Axel into the discussion. So Rebecca, let's let's come to you first. Octopus Energy's mission is to provide cheaper, greener energy, and so obviously as, as far as sustainable businesses go. So you're clearly ticking every box. But based on what John's just explained there, are you super sustainable? There's a fascinating point in there, which was that we don't want the journey to sustainability to be miserable. And we don't want that end goal to look pretty unhappy as well. Or I think building on that, I'd like to talk about it being unobtainable. So actually, Octopus was set up to bring cheaper, greener power to all and actually to prove that cheaper and greener can be accessible and no more expensive than anything else. And I think that's quite important that actually sustainability and and green, if I can pull that, extend that sustainability slightly, um, has always been seen as something not not for us and, you know, potentially a little bit more expensive and a bit more and a bit more niche. And I think that's a risk after the pandemic that people are so focused, have so kind of bedded back down again with, you know, basic worries about survival that actually does actually being sustainable um, and thinking about something wider than your very immediate family, does it become a little bit challenging for people? So I think that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is Octopus was set up to bring cheaper, greener power, but also it was set up to think really, really hard about, about humans and the well-being of humans. And that starts with our with our team as, as well as with the humans that we sell energy to. And actually what we try and develop at Octopus is a very empowered culture where people are enjoy coming to work and they love coming to work and work is a very important part of their life and not just something that you do nine to five um and if we look at look at me right now with uh, juggling my my eight <laughs> I mean, that's a bit unusual right we don't expect um our ladies to come back to work so soon after they've had babies i am a bit weird and he's my fourth so i'm kind of used to it but i enjoy work and i'm very flexible in how and how i manage it and we we hope that we deliver a working environment that people, yeah, people want to come to work and want to be themselves. And our CEO, Greg, talks about developing an environment where you don't have to hang your personality up at the door um, as you come in and you can totally be yourself because a happier person is a better person and is better able to drive our business. So it's a, a lovely circle. Axel, tell us where sustainability sits within Eon's priorities. And, and also, it would be good to hear what your response is to this notion of super sustainability. Also from my end, great, great question. And maybe to put it a bit into perspective, E.ON is one of the largest energy companies in Europe and has undergone a tremendous transformation in the past year. So we have spun off the entire production side, so coal power plants and these kind of things, um, and focusing on on, on grid business. So we have 1.6 million kilometers of grid and 50 million customers, which we serve. So sustainability sits in the heart and soul and core of the, of the company. And I fully agree to uh, what, what Rebecca said. It, there is this aspect of making sustainable energy democratic somehow by uh, uh, opening up it to all customers. And uh, affordability is an important aspect here. I mean, if you think about it, in our case, 50 million customers. So there's everyone, also including a single mom in a very expensive capital somewhere in Europe. 
So everyone needs to be uh, able to afford that. And I like what you just said, John, this holistic view of super sustainability. So there's more to it than just, and I don't want to diminish it, than just the ecological aspect. I mean, we just had here in Germany some devastating floods in the western part of the country, which means thousands of people were out of energy all, all of a sudden. Lots of my colleagues are heavily working and restoring the energy supply. This is a basic need. This is a, uh, something very basic, which you only feel in, a, in, a, in times of crisis or when, when the COVID crisis started. Supply security was a very important aspect. And for me, that's also part of the sustainability um, here, the reliability aspect. Can we afford it? Is it green? And do we have security of, of supply? And if you think about it, energy, in our case at least, is to a large extent an infrastructure business. So I mentioned the grid business. We are serving entire cities, big companies. And it is important that we have this security that people know the energy supply is stable over a long time. And uh, uh, we very often take it for granted, but it's it's hard work behind. And for me, this is also an aspect of super sustainability. What I think is really interesting about hearing Eon and Octopus talk is you're basically saying the same things in slightly different ways. And as a, if I was a customer, I kind of expect that from an energy company in the same way as I, I, I kind of smile when I see packaged good companies patting themselves on the back because they finally decided that they're going to reduce the cardboard in their packaging or source it from somewhere sustainable. As a customer and through our research, that's what people expect every company to be doing and almost run the risk of opening up the question of why weren't you doing it before? And more positively, though, when we get to a place where every company, whether you're a multinational like Eon or whether you're a, a player like Octopus, which is, seems to me to be a you know really compelling specialist focused business, there will be a point where you all offer the same. It's sustainable. It's reliable. So what else have you got? What's going to make me choose? What's going to make me gravitate towards you? And that's where I think the need to think about the totality of the, you know, so how, how do you have an interesting and compelling story and, and personality? And how do you play on the experience you create as well as the purpose that you stand for? And I, I'm just kind of picking on you two because you're sitting here and you're both from the energy space, but it's every every company. So I think, I think first of all, actually, it's that we are, you, you described Octopus as a specialist company, which we're not. Okay. Um, we are an energy buyer. Apologies. No, no, I don't. But actually, I think that's, this is quite an interesting point point because you know actually green shouldn't be specialist you know and you know having your energy supplied by a company where staff are empowered and enjoy coming to work shouldn't be a specialist thing no true that's the norm right and actually we're not specialists because we're actually we're not as big as is eon 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 are fabulous but we set up five years ago we've got two and a half million customers in the uk we're actually now in i think eight countries around the world we've got business in the usa we've got business in japan we've got business in germany we have actually this morning announced a business in Spain. Uh, we've got operations in Australia and New Zealand. I don't know if that makes eight. I literally, I'm sorry, a little bit distracted. <laughs> you know, we, and that's not just our energy supply, so supplying energy to, to customers, but we also have our own proprietary uh, platform, our own software platform called Kraken, which is actually used by other energy suppliers, the, the fabulous Eon being one of them, to actually help look after their customers and, and unlock green energy at a better price for them as well. So actually, I would we would argue that Octopus 
is what octopus does is becoming mainstream and we work with energy suppliers around the world we have a big a joint venture in japan with tokyo gas the incumbent there we work with origin energy in australia so we've actually got two and a half million customers in the uk 17 million customers globally licensed on our kraken platform and we're aiming to have 100 million by 2030 so actually we're very much here to show that you know sustainability and super sustainability and you know in our industry green cheaper greener power but also the idea of a business as being an enjoyable place for people to to work and actually very integrated with a better society is is something that is here to stay maybe to build on that and uh, you just mentioned um, our joint baby let's call it your next in, in in the uk which we just launched a couple of days ago to the, to the wider public in the market from eon's point of view there is a there's a second dimension um, i mentioned this huge chunk of our business which is actually infrastructure and you raised the question should it be a normal that everyone is getting cheaper, greener energy. Uh, from my point of view, yes, of course. And it involves a complete rebuild of the infrastructure. If you think about it, we come from a world where you had a few power plants across the countries, coal, gas, nuclear, you name it. And these power plants were supplying entire countries. We are now entering a world where we come into a decentralized prosumer world. So a lot of people have solar panels on their roofs, drive e-cars, there are windmills. So it's a, it's a hell of a lot of a, of a complicated system to generate the sustainable energy we need. And this is a process which will take decades. So you need to, to have the production side to take into the equation. You have to take into equation the grid side, which is important because if you think about it, in previous times, the grid was designed, and this is copper cables, this is millions and billions of money running in infrastructure across countries, these grids were designed to distribute from centralized power plants into the homes of people, into factories. Now the system is decentralized, it's becoming decentralized. So you have to manage that. You have to digitalize the, how you operate this and you have to make it more flexible. This is not to be done overnight. And this is a process which will take a lot of time. So there is a bit of difference between a company which is a new established one, a new establishment like Octopus, which has a bit of a greenfield approach here, and an incumbent, which has a bit of a legacy. So I'm always advocating for making this distinction. So the, the starting point is a different one. Yeah. The objective of all of us is the same, to make this sustainable future for all of us possible. And I think we are united with the same goal. I mean, people don't give a damn about energy, usually, because it comes out of the socket it's there and it's 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 a commodity yeah and it's very often associated with dirt yeah you have you have the pictures of the the, the coal power plants and these kind of things in front of your eyes nowadays it's also the key for a sustainable future on our continent on the entire planet and we kind of need to change the system while we are keeping it stable and running and affordable which is a bit of a of a challenge here. Yeah, I mean, I, when I look at the Future Brand Index this year, our fifth highest ranked company is Next Era Energy. You know, the top 100 companies at PwC that we we rank, Next Era Energy is is the number one brand in the in the energy space. It hasn't grown on head stuff; it's grown on heart stuff. It's grown on its its experience. It's grown on its story. It's grown on the people's beliefs about the quality of its people who works there. So to your point, Rebecca, it's certainly true what you're talking about. But where they've really shot up is being able to communicate a sense of well-being, being able to be an inspiration. These are things I don't usually associate with energy companies. So I think people do increasingly give a damn 
about energy, but it's just maybe not in the way that energy industry tends to talk, which tends to be slightly rational about reliability and look how sustainable we are. And I think what that may be a sign of is the sophistication of consumers on the one hand, that they kind of get it and expect it, but also this sense that where they're going to spend time and money and with whom they're going to spend their time and their money are companies that deliver on a whole host of needs that they have. You know, So back to my original point, yes, I care about my environment and the environment I live in and my future, my family and what have you. But I also today want to have pleasure. I want to have experience. I want to give my money to a company where I believe their people are treated well. That whole range of stuff is kind of what's at stake now, because I think increasingly there'll be a an expectation of some of that, the basics that I think for the industry and not just your industry, every industry thinks is an exception. You know, oh, look, we're in, we, we, you know, we, we're getting to a low carbon footprint. Well, kind of great. What else? What else? What else? And that's where I think brand comes in because brand is, is, is you know, and I would say this, wouldn't I? But for me, if you're dealing as a business leader or, or a, a marketing leader or whatever, brand leader, you've got so much to deal with now. You've got to think about the, the business in so many different lenses and so many different contexts. If you don't look at it through the lens of the brand, which to us is is, is about behavior, then, you know, it's, I don't know how else you'd do it. Because, you know, if I give you an example, I, I guess the guys, and I wouldn't pick them out, every company has struggles with things like this. But if you look at, I don't know, Boeing, Wells Fargo, Enron, looking back over time, you kind of think if those employees at that company had a greater sense of what their brand was about, some of the things that happened there might not have happened. But the ability to look at the totality of the, of what, of the business, how it behaves in every context for me, is, is, is what's at stake. And that's the new agenda that we're trying to get to with sustainability. Well, yeah, I think, um, I think John, I think you're, you're understandably coming at this with a lot of scepticism around, uh, around our industry, which is totally understandable. And Octopus were set up to do energy differently with that in mind. And I've um, joined Octopus when there were 50,000 customers and 30 people in an office. And we're now at the size that I talked about earlier. Oh, sorry, I got a little burp from my little boy. And actually, I don't, you know, I, I don't um, worry about or think or get stressed about, you know, lots of different lenses that I have to look at the business in. My, my job is to take a, a decent product, a good product, you know, fairer, cheaper power, with exceptional customer service that is green as well, but it's not something we're here on because actually most people, it should be something we deliver as standard. As many humans as possible in a decent way, right? You know, I don't overcomplicate things with that. I'm like, actually, how do I take that message to people and how do I make sure that we have, they have a great experience with us? And actually great experience with us is when they phone, they they talk to someone on the phone who can deal with their problem. And actually we have um, a 95%, I suppose, first time fix that our systems and our, and our training means that when you speak to someone on the phone, they will be able to answer anything that they need to answer right they don't you don't get passed off through an IVR to other people you know someone will look after look after you from end to end so the way that we manage our our customer service teams our operations teams as we call them it every customer is assigned to a particular team of around eight to ten people and those eight to ten people will always look after that customer so even though we've two and a half million customers you can always speak to the same person if you wanted to if you phoned up unless they were off for the day and I think just building a business from that way round means that you kind of almost cover off all the, the some of the different issues that you talk about you don't have to think about well how I'm going to put set some KPIs for how we look after customers and Axel is, is totally right it's, it's harder for, for for legacy companies because they have a lot of stuff that they have to deal with Eon's a, a fabulous example of 
they've um using you know our, our software I'm not trying to make this this there's a plug but actually their own ability to implement that to create an entirely new business in, in eon next in only a few months is actually operating in in my opinion in the way that we've signed divined it through this conversation a very super sustainable way and actually for yeah. i was watching a tv ad last night axel your new tv ad for eon next and i was like yeah that's quite good and i'm like gosh we've kind of created a new competitor here it's weird but this is what we want to do right actually Actually, genuinely I've got I've got four children I want to change the world I want to leave the world a better place I'm good at business mm. I'm working in the company mm. but actually I want mm. to contribute a something to society which is a better kind of energy industry and I'm delighted that we can work with businesses like Eon to, to do that and to make to make that change absolutely and, and if I may likewise I mean John you, you asked about what what is more there than reliability and and what is what are you standing for beyond We thought a lot about this question. What do we want to stand for? What is what is really the core of, of, of everything? And if you look at the core issue we want to tackle, which is doing something against climate change, doing something for a more sustainable planet, because that sits in the heart and soul, that is a challenge for mankind. That is not a challenge for um, any county in any country. So uh, um, it's big, it's massive. So we believe that all of us need to work together and do our bit. Everyone can do a bit. Can be a small bit, yeah. You can you can make your contribution with uh, a sustainable energy contract. You can drive uh, electric vehicle. Uh, you will drive it most likely for sure in the future because uh, the car industry is changing now. You can have a super sustainable home and so on and so forth. But but the collective effort uh, is is important. So connecting connecting lots of people to this mission uh, and 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 partnerships like the one we have here now with Octopus. I mean, this is. I personally love this very much because, at the one side, obviously we are in, in the same in the same market, uh, competing for in, in the same market. At the same time, we have the same objective, and we are working together. So it's kind of it's getting more and more fluid, um, bound together by this one objective. And uh, we see it every day. There might be people who who deny it, but um, well, I'm convinced if we if we don't do something right now, here and now, and not talk only about this, then we will be not in a very good place going forward. John, given we spent quite a bit of time talking about Octopus and, and Eon. Can you talk through how the rest of the energy sector fares when it comes to being super sustainable? In broad terms, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the truth is, you can imagine the type of companies that are in the top 100. In general, they're not doing so well. There is a degree of muted response towards those businesses across the board. The one I would call out, which I will talk about, is Saudi Aramco, which is surprising, I think. Saudi Aramco is a really high riser on our index from a very low position admittedly but in the last 12 months or so Saudi Aramco have have improved on perceptions that go way beyond sustainability and so if I look at Saudi Aramco right now Saudi Aramco is performing just across the board and particularly on things you perhaps don't expect so for example pleasure well-being authenticity innovation the story its backstory and I think that this goes a little bit to my point and, and I'm not in some ways I, I'm making I'm talking about energy but I'm making a broad point about businesses and how they can rise in the eyes of the public these days and the rise of consumers it's by thinking beyond their sector often sectors behave along certain expected lines you know healthcare businesses tend to operate along the lines of well-being and and respect and all the rest of it and and energy businesses tend to think about it in the world in terms of as Axel just talked about an octopus I think has been set up to, to deliver on is concerns around you know environment environmental and sustainability but what we're seeing is the companies that are performing exponentially right now 
are thinking beyond the norms of their sector and they're winning in spaces and places where they don't traditionally play in in terms of their how they come across to people and we believe that is because the public and the people we've spoken to who are not just people in the street that they're, they're, they're a professional audience of informed consumers they're reacting to a whole bunch of concerns that they have and they're assessing businesses and brands on a whole plethora of, of concerns that link you know as i said at the start you know that affect people's health their beliefs about their wealth and status moving forward their communities as well as the environment and the businesses and comp- companies that seem to be operating across those those contexts are the ones that are standing out right now post-pandemic because people's concerns have been conflated and escalated and we think about things in a much more nuanced way. Are there any companies or or sectors in particular that you wanted to to highlight? Well, the number one company we've got this year, which will surprise some people, is not Apple. It's ASML, a Dutch tech company, which, you know, it's playing in a category, obviously tech, but it's it's perceived, I think, to be alongside a whole bunch of companies to be building the infrastructure and foundations of the future, in this case, the future of, of tech and the web. And where they are performing really highly is in categories you perhaps wouldn't associate them with, you know, sense of individuality. So they're very distinctive. Those who know them really, really feel them as different and distinctive. They have really strong personality. You know, where they're really punching out is on things like bringing and giving people pleasure. Now, these are not things I usually associate with with tech businesses and businesses that are building the infrastructure of the internet. And I think that's what super sustainability and companies that really purport to want to be super sustainable need to start thinking about. They do fine on things like resource management, which is how we assess sustainability, but it's on other things and on the broader things that that, that the battleground now seems to be because the public are more sophisticated in how they're assessing companies and where they want to spend their time and money. You touched on it earlier, but do you want to just go a little bit deeper into the role that the brand plays then within this? I think it's two things. I think one, I'll go back to what Rebecca said about employees. And and I think that fundamentally brands are built inside out and they live first and foremost in the employee. So I think the story of Octopus is really compelling because it sounds like it's been built intuitively from that perspective and making sure that it radiates through. And I'm sure Axel is doing something similar at Eon. So first and foremost, brand is about um, comes from the inside out. And if your employees are delivering it, it radiates beyond. That's the first thing about brand. The second thing arguably is more fundamental One of the big misunderstandings about brands is it often gets confused with branding. And brand is behavior. Brand is how your company, your people, your products, your services turn up in the world. Whether that's a product on a shelf or a service on a screen, that's brand. All branding is, is the trappings, the assets, the little logos and reminders that establish and maintain and, and remind people of that behavior. And I think the two, those two things get confused. So if you think about brand as behavior, and how your people behave and how your company behaves and how your services and products behave. The, the new agenda is to behave in ways that you didn't have, to, didn't have to worry about before. If an energy company only had to worry about communicating a cheap price and, and ticking a sustainability box, that kind of worked before the pandemic. It, and it's exciting because it's an opportunity. I'm making it sound like it's a bad thing. There's a great opportunity for companies like energy companies to make people care about energy, to become engaged in it, to be able to track it, to be able to understand their contribution to, to demonstrate how energy companies make for a wealthier, better society, to manage my health, help me with all sorts of things that, that originally I wouldn't necessarily have wanted to engage with an energy company on. And that's true of every sector. So I think when you're having to operate with that, this is my point about the different lenses you have to now operate within, 
using the brand as your blueprint, using the, the behavior. How do we behave in this context? How should we behave in that context? How should we behave when we're talking about something that's outside of our comfort zone? It, it is really interesting. I'll give you an example, not from the index, but one of the brands I really love is MS. I can't afford much of it, but I love MS. MS obviously deliver on what you'd expect them to deliver on, on, on things like luxury and quality and all the rest of it. But where MS is unique is it's so fun. You know, it's really transformed the way people engage with luxury brands because they spend five minutes on their Instagram page and you realize what a rich personality, fun, it almost feels down to earth company it is. And yet it's still maintained a high end Parisian um, heritage brand. Another great example, I think, is, is TransferWise, you know, now Wise, you know, which is kind of disrupting banking in some ways, or certainly the way we think about money and, and, it's, and it's moving it around the world. It kind of delivers what people expect it to deliver in terms of what you'd expect from a financial institution in terms of trust and credibility. But the experience and the engagement and the way, for example, it just recently did its IPO in a very kind of unique way is really interesting. And I don't think without a clear sense of those founders understanding what their brand's all about, they would have done it in that way intuitively. It would have probably been done in more traditional terms and therefore would have been less distinctive and less standout. So there's just, just a couple of examples, I think, of why brand is important. Because if you want to engage the new consumer and engage the post-pandemic consumer, you need some sort of blueprint to give you the confidence to go outside of your traditional comfort zones and to behave in new and interesting ways because that's what people are looking for. You do see though a lot of companies, so whether or not this sits with brand or branding based on, on what you were just talking about, but where the brand is trying to respond to all these different things that are going on around them that leads to being super sustainable, whether it is Black Lives Matter or, for example, one of the things that I... I it frustrates me is when I see during Pride Month, for example, oh, let's let's put a rainbow behind our, our logo on, on social media. And yeah, we've, we've ticked a box kind of thing. But th- then you've got this thing about tokenism, haven't you? There's got to be more to it than just changing the colour of your logo for a week or a, or a month. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that, that, that comes down to brand. So the, the, the cliche that inevitably will come up here is, is the Bezos quote about your brand is you when you're not in the room. And really that's talking about that. What he means is it's me when I'm not in the room. And I think being able to to trust and empower your people to make smart decisions every day comes down to being able for them to understand what the brand is all about and what would this brand what is the right way for us to behave in this context it could be that it's a little bit more than just as you say putting a rainbow behind the logo and therefore the brand would empower people to know what instinctively is the right way to behave in any given context axel any thoughts on this I believe if you if you try to to boil it down, it could come to a very simple question. The brand can help you. And I once did a, a very exhaustive rebranding process where we put a lot of emphasis on the strategy part. It basically came down to the question, who are we and who do we want to be? And maybe also then to make the, the litmus test, who we don't want to be. If you have an answer to that question, and uh, from my experience, it can bring a lot of interesting follow-up questions in a strategy process. If you answer, if you if you come up with that question in a, in a, in a, from a brand point of view, then you are at a very core. Sometimes, maybe we in our profession try to uh, make things a bit more complicated than they need to be. Yeah, with uh, brand personalities and brand cores and uh, brand positioning, it's all fine. It's all good. We all need that. But in the end, is that one question. Who are we? Who, who, what is the business for in its core? And uh, it's not always easy to find that out, at least if you're working in a, in a, in a legacy where you have some sort of a, of a history that comes with it. Rebecca, t- just on this topic of brand, I mean, 
we again touched on it a little bit earlier, but but Octopus's brand's gone from zero to to over two billion in in just five years. Do, do you want to just talk through how that's been achieved? It's interesting actually talking about the um, your brand is who you are when you're not in the room. So when I was off for a few weeks a couple of months ago, having having this one, a new head of marketing for our Japanese business joins a fabulous lady called Yoko, who is spending a few months with the team in London and then we'll go back to Tokyo. Um, the, my baby arrived a little bit early, so I kind of had to go a little bit you know, unexpectedly. So she actually arrived and I wasn't there. So it was uh, it was a bit of a kind of interesting onboarding for, for her. But my team were, I knew would be absolutely fabulous. And she said to me when I came back, it was amazing, Rebecca, because everyone I spoke to said exactly the same things about this business. You know, they, you know, it was like they kind of learned it by rote, how, what you are and what we are and what we do and how we do things, you know, focus on growth, empowerment, enjoying yourself at work, supporting each other, all the kind of key, key values, which people just completely understood. She couldn't believe that anyone she spoke to, not even within, within my team, within marketing or product development, but actually across operations, across everything, people gone, got what our North Star was, which I was incredibly, incredibly proud of, actually, having been away. And I think, um, yeah, I think if you set up a business, we are, I mentioned our North Star, a cheap, cheaper, greener power for all. And we also talk about embarrassingly good customer service delivered by empowered grown-ups, right? And actually, I think that's a very simple message for the, the team who work at Octopus and translates to customers as well. So we don't have an absolutely rigorous and obsessive sign-off process for example so when I was uh, I, I used to work um, I won't I won't name them but another big a big six energy supplier and when I used to produce a piece of creative for customers it used to get signed off by legal regs data protection ops PR I think and the process uh, managers journey I mean everybody used to kind of take a nice piece of, of creative and then carve off a little bit and you used to end up at the end with something that really didn't mean you know much to anyone but yes wouldn't get you into to any trouble and within marketing I now expect that if my team produce creative I will have a look at stuff but actually they all have read the energy supply regulations they know what's legally right and decent and actually if they put something out the door they have accountability for making sure that that it's right they're not looking for anyone else to, to sign it off they take that personal responsibility and it means that not only can you move much quicker in doing things but actually what you produce is much better as well and I think that also extends out of marketing to to the operations team that you know we give a lot of flexibility for our operations team to make their own decisions when when dealing with customers and what's the right thing to do and how to look after them and I talked about earlier each customer is looked after by a team of eight to ten people and each of those teams has a team leader and they are really empowered to almost run their own P&L so they have around 50,000 customers that they look after and they are responsible for deciding how they're going to manage the, the team structure how many people they're going to put on the phones how many people they're going to put on emails how they're going to have are they going to have specialists in the team who look after kind of you know somebody who looks after more of the billing side how they work it completely empowered for for how they think it should be done um, rather than it being a top-down actually this is the process that you might follow for for everyone because humans are all very different you know employees are different our customers are different and it's important to give people that complete empowerment to to do the best thing for them and, and for customers as well 
it seems to work so far. <laughs> I would hope that in you know that very soon I would we would appear on the um, on the future band index, which obviously is its market cap, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Um, so you never know. Maybe maybe next year, John, we'll be there and we'll be at the top. I I, 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 no, I don't doubt it, but it's PwC, PwC that decide, not us. Okay, yeah. I, I, I think it's even Bloomberg. <laughs> yeah, John, let's just think about the timing of when we're recording this. We're recording this now, just after. Restrictions have finally been lifted in the UK, right or wrongly. You know, that's a whole different podcast we can have, you know, after this, the pandemic that we've been through. How relevant is, is, is all the timing of it, would you say? I think there's a couple of things there. And it's a really interesting question. And I think what the pandemic did is it, is it forced a degree of expediency that perhaps wasn't there before. Governments, companies, people were kind of forced to work faster and in new ways. You know, the speed to market of the vaccine being a good example of that, but also if you think about the way so many companies switched production to create hand sanitizer or PPE or whatever it happened to be. So that's what's that's what was the immediate effect of what happened in 2020. I think the lasting impact of that could potentially be a reassessment of how businesses work, how companies work, and how work gets done, how products and services are created, and ultimately our attitude to profits. I mean, there's a really interesting example, I think, that comes out of India. That the, the, We've been doing a lot of work in, in that part of the world recently. And their view of the world is that you create products and services that are foundational to life, that allow people to progress, to trade, to learn, to develop. And you take a fee for doing that. You take a small you take a small fee for doing that. And it's it's much more of a partnership model. It's much more of a collaboration model of, of working. And it's and it's designed to be a scaled business. So it's less parochial, it's less profit-driven. And and you know, from companies, I'm thinking about Reliance Industries, which is big on our index. I'm thinking about Tata Consulting, both firms rising and in the, you know, in the case of Reliance in the top 10 and has been for the last two years. Again, company that if you operate with a sort of Anglo-US centric mindset, which a lot of people still do, you don't realize these companies are, uh, you know, are already operating in ways that I think are akin to the way that we were exposed to a new way of working because of the pandemic. And I think that might be here to stay. As I say, where, where you, you think about what people need at scale, you provide it for them and you take a small cut for doing it. So I think when I think about the way other companies or older companies in older markets tend to operate, it's how much profit do we need to make? How much shareholder value do we need to create? Therefore, how do we get that out of people? And I think there's a kind of long-term flipping of that type of thinking that may be one of the longer-term legacies. I, I don't think it's of the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly exposed us to that way of thinking. Axel, thoughts on that? Let's see what what the long-lasting effects will uh, will be. Uh, I can remember when uh, the pandemic started, uh, there was a bit of a debate in, in media around, oh, um, is is the topic of sustainability now a bit off the radar because we have different priorities as 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 a society. I think that has changed again. Let's see. These effects might be less severe than we might think, but I don't know. We have to observe it. You, you see this kind of longer longer guardrails which are here to stay i'm like sustainability and how we as as societies can manage that as households as people at home as individuals but up to the level of, of societies and uh, these big questions from my point of view have a bit of a longer lifetime i mentioned that that beforehand when i mean if, if we're talking about sustainable energy for everyone there's there's one question behind where does it come from 
And at the moment, it's just not possible to have fully sustainable energy for everyone because it's just not there in terms of production. So the question is, how do we change as a society? This is a, this is a deep question. This will cost money. This will be a, a, a big societal effort and no country will, will be able to do it alone. How do we do that in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? And um, brands might be able to help guide this conversation or play at least play um, a substantial role here. I, I had the feeling when we when we had the first wave of COVID beginning of last year, that was a bit of a litmus test for, for many brand purposes, which brand is, is really, really relevant for this long-lasting things when it comes to health, how we collaborate with each other. So the, the importance of, of telecommunications was, was prevalent. Energy was was playing an, an important role here. I've worked also in the health sector, uh, which is sometimes a bit complicated. And if we talk about regulations and lawyers, I can tell you um, if you're working in healthcare, this is a different kind of a game. <laughs> But these questions are, are so fundamental. And I believe that that will be important for brands to have an, to have an answer on that. Not maybe every brand on every question, I agree with Rebecca on, on, on that one, but there is a bit, in German you would say, es trennt sich die Spreu vom Weizen. So there is a bit of a distinction between what is what is really relevant and what is maybe an, a perceived, has a perceived relevance, but not real relevance. And, and that might be an interesting question for, for brands out there. Axel, I might need your help on our transcript on that little bit that you just uh, threw in there. Um, <laughs> Happy to do so. <laughs> And apologies for that one. <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. It's great. It brings a full international flavor to the podcast, which is what we were after. Um, listen, let's let's bring this to a close. John, for the Super Sustainability Report, I'm, I'm guessing the website is the best place to go? That's correct. Yep. Uh, www.futurebrand.com. Good stuff. John, thanks for that. And uh, that actually wraps up this episode. So thanks once again to um, Rebecca Dib Simkin, um, Axel Luba and uh, John Tipple for joining me today. And of course, to uh, Xander as well, um, who has been amazingly <laughs> well behaved <laughs> during this entire recording. Uh, so no, th thanks so much, Rebecca, for um, for doing that as respect levels are, are, are through the roof on that one. <laughs> Just to come back on that, if you want to uh, get in touch with Future Brand about their super sustainability report, then you can reach them via the email using hello at futurebrand.com. In the meantime, obviously, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear any comments you may have on the discussion. If you'd like to contribute, you can do that on our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, also on the YouTube channel, the LinkedIn and Instagram pages. They're all linked from the top of the website at csweetpodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe and follow us for automatic downloads of all the episodes via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well or you can contact me on twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye